Salam alaikum. Je suis Fatima. Hello everyone, I'm Victoria Allen. This was the greeting. Uh, so many times I've heard and uh, said back, of course, in Morocco to introduce myself. Salam alaikum, and you're supposed to say back, alaikum salam. Fatima used to, and I guess always will be, uh, really sans sucre, without sugar. This is my desert name. But this pod is uh, Victoria Allen's story. Uh, Live to love the road. Right here, shared for you. Yesterday, um, it was March 21, and I was out visiting friends on the island of Stusha. It's an island in the southern archipelago just outside Gothenburg. You can reach there with a ferry. I was sitting there in the sunset on a beautiful veranda overlooking the sea that I just adore so much that it was always my first love. And there is a single swan again, just owning and swimming in the eternity that is the sea. She's powerful, she's strong, she's adventurous. Yeah, she's alone. The story doesn't tell us did she lose somebody? Did she, did she lose? Or is she actually searching? Well, in this story, I am the swan. I now call myself the Swedish swan that found a Sahara she loved. This is my first story of many to come where I will try and take you with me um, in the story that is my life, but also in this first episode is where the swan meets Sahara. I was born many moons ago in Helsinki, so I'm a proud minority of Finn Swedes. We moved to Gothenburg on the west coast of Sweden, second largest city here, when I was only seven. We lived not far away from a place called Achimsbadet, where I used to be allowed to go down by myself in many times of the day, but usually I loved to go down when the sun was setting to go out for an evening swim. And I think it must have been there where I encountered the swans with the power for the first time as I can remember. These majestic animals with long necks that just swim completely free. They own the space and they have the power, if they so wish, to swim out into the place where the horizon meets eternity. And they were just so beautiful. I really admired them. And there was always two. Well, when I used to return back to our house, I used to go and crawl down you know, just sit on actually probably a Moroccan poof in my uh, parents' library because there was the gem, there was the encyclopedia with all the short stories of, well, really the world. Well, remember, friends, this is back in, well, 1982. So now if you start counting, you know what age I am. Well, it's in these books when I come in with just the power of the ocean when my heart is open I think I know I think I believe at least that this is when my also great love affair with Africa begins I thank my godmother uh, Viri and 
my aunt Tula, who used to send me all these brilliant postcards from all around the world. And I used to take them with me down to the to the World Library of the Encyclopedia and try and find the places that they had visited. And there, somewhere in there, I must have started reading about Africa. Who knows, maybe even Morocco. But there was this tickle. Of course, I read on to Australia, America. I kept on reading, but it was always this Africa. Over the years, Africa became like a whisper in my life. And as I grew a little bit older, I already knew that Africa would impact me big. And some people even said, well, you're just that typical person that will go to Africa and volunteer. And my response actually used to be, well, sure, I'll go. But I have to hold on a little longer because when I go, I will never be able to leave her. Well, life moves on. And um, at 19, I end up in Abilene, Texas, in America. Well, why do I talk about this? Well, last week, my amazing professor, Dr. Larry Bradshaw, passed with the angels and now is all the light and love in the world united. Just like ACU taught me and all of the students, I was blessed to walk through four like four years of university together with all the professors that always truly believed in me, like Dr. Bradshaw. He always charged me to take on life full speed ahead, never give up. And he always said, I know you can give it more. He always knew I would be the messenger, I think, of light, of peace and of gratitude in the world. He always saw that. I didn't. It took me many years I was also really not wanting to be in front of the camera back then. He tried to insist, but I'm strong-willed Capricorn, so I stayed behind the camera. Well, like many ACU students and alumni, we now have spread ourselves all around the world to be the light of the world. And um, here I am. Well, the years move on. I am uh, I'm married. I get two beautiful children, Lucas and Mai. But I also have this itch. We're in Sweden and I'm happy. But there's something. There's that itch. There's that memory of Africa, of an adventure we still have not gone to. And I look at my children and I'm like, well, they can't be adults until this adventure goes. Well, this is the time. Let's go. So in a, August 2013, we had made the decision. We made what I said was the toughest choice of all and where all adventures really start. You book, a, you book a plane ticket. You set a departing date. 16 maximum hours before we're supposed to depart, we managed to sell our car. Maybe even 14 or 15 hours before we're departing, we managed to rent out now uh, the four-room apartment we have in the center of Gothenburg. We're up packing, and I, I don't even know how we got it all. But in the end, we're at Landwetter with eight bags. Eight bags, that's what remains of all of our lives together with a child, you know, five and eight, and two adults ready to go on an adventure. A few, few days before, I have met up with some of the women 
that I will carry close to my heart. They've been friends of mine now for almost 40 years. We sit together and I ask them, please give me a name. This is going to be a great story. I, I have to tell this story. What should we call the story? So we're bouncing words among ourselves and there comes the line that now will stay on with me for the rest of my life. Viva Love Strada. Live to love the road. We name the family story Villostrada, but in, the, in this pod and the books and the stories following, we're back to the core. Live to love the road. We promise each other there on the airplane, the whole family, that from now on out, we will actually live to love the road. Over the years, and over the years, I think, to come, we're still learning all the nuances of the meaning of living to love the road. Well, our first stop on our new adventure is Frigiliana, a Moorish town, a whitewashed, one of the most beautiful ones in all of Andalusia in southern, southern Spain. Around 3,000 inhabitants and we become one of them. I am forever grateful for the warm welcome we also receive here of happy people that live in simplicity. I'm forever grateful for our neighbors uh, plowing the fields with an ox and showing our children what agriculture actually looks like. We lived a slow life and life really did slow life. It was really love for the road and the simple life. But already after a few days of being in this beautiful village, I sit on the plaza in Frigliana. And for you who have been there, let me just take you with you. Sitting in a steep hill surrounded by mango, mango, avocado and olive trees, papaya. Yeah, nisperos. It's all there, all the tropical fruits. And you're overlooking the beauty that is the Mediterranean Ocean. But right there in the horizon... For you who are a seeing person, you can feel it in your body. I could just feel Africa coming. And I knew I was close. I was close. I was at a destination, but still not exactly where I needed to be. So already then and there, only a few days of arrival, I started lobbying for a trip to Morocco. Well... Like I said before, I'm a Capricorn, so it doesn't take that long. And we're off three weeks after arrival in Spain. Joachim and I, we are together with a guide who has a mission to take us to a social entrepreneur to make, to start building a network of do-gooders in Morocco. We cross Tangier. Uh, we uh, don't Tangier, men, actually. We come in through Ceuta. I think this is symbolic uh, also because that's where probably I will end my story today. Ceuta is the little enclave of uh, Spain in Africa. We pass through there and it's crazy. So many cars honking. Sure, there are lines, but nobody's in line. And there's this big sign that says no honking and everyone's honking. Oh, and I noticed... There's just armada of people moving with huge obstacles, things, luggage. You can't even call it luggage. Hundreds of kilos on their backs. The mules, I learned, they're called. 
strong women fighting for survival and taking the job that's available to carry goods from the West, from Europe, into Morocco. I will have many stories to tell about this border crossing that has broken my heart so many times, but this is not the time. Well, so we move on and drive on, and a couple of hours later, we are at the bottom of the hill where Shifshawan also lies as a beauty, as a hidden gem in the mountains of the Rif. As we're driving up this mountain, our guide has tuned in to Moroccan music on the radio. And right then and there, big tears start rolling down my cheeks. I'm home. I've been gone for 40 years, but I'm home. This enormous belonging this enormous just longing that finally I'm surrounded by the music that comes from my heart. This whole weekend becomes a love affair with Shifshawan. And I will come back to this also and tell you more about this. When we leave a couple of days later, it's probably one of the few times that I'm not crying as I'm leaving Morocco. Because it's like I know that I've bought an endless of return tickets to come back. And I actually do come back already maximum four weeks after. I'm back again, catching a ride with the same guide that's just taking me back into Shifshawan. I've already made a friend, Said Rincon. Torres una grande amiga, Said. I hope you're listening. Well, I walk into his shop and uh, he hands me this piece of jewelry. If you can hear metal around my neck, it's... Um, it's the Nomad Cross. There'll be many stories about this cross, but he, he looks at me and he says, Fatima. I think maybe it's even him who gave me the name Fatima. And he said, you wear this compass, wear this as a compass on your adventures here. Wear it not as a protection, but as a door opener to all of it that is to come. I will cherish this. Trust me. It was just torn from me for a year, but just returned just recently back to my possession. I'm barely taking it off now when I'm sleeping. Well, I will start wearing this piece of silver jewelry that holds the, the symbols of all of us all of humanity, as I call it also, and all of the symbols of world religions, I carried this silver piece around my neck. Many, many, many conversations start. I keep returning to Morocco almost every month, 10 trips a year as we're living in Frigiana. But I still have this constant calling. So it's not until December, Christmas Day of 2015, that we stand at the gate to the Sahara Desert. The Nomad Crosses led us there. I didn't know then that maybe just only another 100 meters down the road, that would be my entry point to my home, one of my many homes in the desert. A road that I would know every rock, every piece, every turn. I could still tell you right now how to go. Well, we're standing there anyway in 2015 on Christmas Day. I have my pockets lined with um, orange peel because I've read that the dromedaries love 
love, 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 love orange peel. So I want to come prepared. We have a few camels there. We have our guide. And uh, we have two nomads with us, Yusuf and his nephew, Muhammad. We walk out in the desert. And there's this almost, I call it famous photo because we've discussed and talked about it so much around our adventure as a family of Villostrada, where I'm wearing this blue man's gandora worn in the desert but almost by almost all the men. But I have to be me, so of course I'm wearing it. And I'm wearing a blue headscarf, a shesh. And I'm standing there and I'm looking back at Joachim and he snaps a photo. It's like I say goodbye to the world I used to know and just walk into the desert and my life in the person I am now. We didn't know then, but this was also the end and the beginning of a beautiful love affair that was my marriage to Joachim. And I just want to say as a side note to all of you out there, when you know it's time to go, just set love free. Please do that. And do it in time so you can stay friends and just keep living life with each other somehow in each other's life. Well, we didn't know then, so our journey continues, but I become silent. And for most of you who know me, it's not a very common commonality around me but I am silent for two days almost I'm silenced by the Sahara so many beautiful things from the world that is Sahara open up to me I promise I will take you back many times to tell you about things experienced here during the first few days well on the second day we're closing in on sunset we're learning and again, I will tell many more stories that water is life. There are these donkeys that are also wild and the inhabitants of the Sahara. And they're standing there waiting by a tiny well. And our guide just tells me, well, they're looking for water. And he walks over there and starts pulling out water for the donkeys to drink. I also now hear the sounds of other tiny paws coming. It's a baby goats. Of course, later I will learn about goat keeping in the Sahara. So these are the baby goats coming for water right before also their mothers. And fathers are coming back from the mountains where they have been all day. Someone in the nomad family will always stay behind to guard them during the day. The tiny ones that still don't have the energy to go. And right there among all these little tiny goats... I meet the most beautiful brown eyes that just with the utmost curiosity look into my eyes and lock in. This is the moment I meet Mustafa. At home, actually right now in Sweden celebrating Christmas break, you and Kim and I have our children, Lucas and Mai. We're perfectly super happy with two children, but I always said I would have a third child. At this moment, I look into Mustafa's eyes. Maybe he's three or four at this time. I know I've found him. And it's not him. He becomes the symbol of the children of the Sahara that I vow to enable education and empower them to start dreaming. This becomes my true 
mission in life. That's also the gift of the Sahara, as she is, without pardon, giving me a tough job. Not really offering, because it was rather a job command. I also share a beautiful and, for me, very important meeting with Mustafa's grandmother, but I will not talk about that today. Well, Mustafa becomes the symbol for the work that I will do for the following four years together with the Villastrada Foundation and many of our beautiful friends and international talented people and the nomads of the Sahara right now surrounding Tagunit of Morocco in the southeast corner close to the Algerian border. They will teach me more about life. And I'm just humbled by the fact that I am now chosen to share some of their wisdom with you. I am nothing without them. I'm only the messenger. Well, Joachim and I are now divorced. I have asked my children for permission to return to the Sahara to live full-time. Well, full-time is only six months out of the year because it's too hot. So I'm living in Tagunit. I moved there, you know, almost three years ago. I moved there full-time. I, I went to go back to live there full-time to finish a mission that my children initiated that it's called the Tanmir Junior Club. Because when my children lived with me in the desert, and that's another story I will come back to, um, we learned in full force Tanmirt, which in Berber, or in actually as I would encourage you to say, Amazir, which is the correct historical name for the uh, people of the Sahara and of the 23 spoken languages, uh, you know, local languages spoken in Morocco. Amazir, one of them, yeah. And there are dialects, you know. Amazir, anyway, in Tanmirt means thank you, our earth. My children have lived with me by now in the desert for three months uh, in a time period when they were off from school from Spain. And they have vowed to start the Tanmir Junior Club. And, yeah, three years ago I was there to just not finish, but to really make sure that their dream happened. The Nomad Cross is still hanging around my neck, making sure I'm following my compass. It wasn't a light decision to leave my children behind in Spain. But when you have the best father in the world and the best support by your friends and family in Frigliana, it was possible for them and for me to follow my heart to be working right then and there for a while with the children of the Sahara. In my time with the Villastrada Foundation, when I could now dedicate my all of my time, all of my talent, all of my connections, tune in, and just work with some amazing local talent in Tagunit and of course alongside the wisdom of the nomads of the desert. We managed to not only create a solar panel that still to this day is 100 kilometers out in the desert fuels the desert with water 8,000 liters an hour. We also managed to transform a playground that was completely dead. 
100 children came together and proved that when you believe in them, dreams come true. Only a year ago, these 100 children of Tagunits have their, chill, have their dreams awoken by the Tanmir Junior Club, established by my own two children. 8th of March, we proudly, you know, I proudly got to witness as two young children, a boy and a girl, of course, opened a playground that they had built that I only had the great pleasure together with my uh, adult colleagues to be the facilitators of, but the children did the work. There'll be images and you'll be able to read about this, but it was an extreme proud day. 330 children came to this playground. It was an amazing day. Little did I know that only a few days later, I would be forced to leave the job that I thought I would have forever. I really thought I was there forever. The Nomad Cross had told me so. You're home. The Sahara Desert had embraced me and told me so. I am home. You're here. But life, my friends, sometimes plays tricks on us. Sometimes the sandstorm comes. You barely can't see it. But there it is. And there it was. Only a few days after 8th of March, two, you know, one year ago, only one year ago, 2020, the coronavirus and the pandemic hits the world. In one hour as I'm sitting down having dinner with my friends, the world's borders close. At this time, I have a very severe illness that I still don't know the name of, but all I know is that I need regular blood transfusions. So I'm left with the decision of leaving right now. So in one hour, I make the decision that I'm going and I'm packing and I pack one yellow bag, less than when I had when I left Sweden with, you know, eight bags, one, you know, two bags per person. I have half the size now, one, you know, five liters of water and I rush out to a taxi. I am not well at this time. I can barely stand up. And guess what? I forget my nomad cross right there on the wall of my Saharan home. I leave, and if you want to read, you can always find the article until we meet again, and you can read about my story in in very, very, I don't even know, turbulently, I'm leaving Morocco to go to the safe haven that will be Spain again, where I can have a safe blood transfusion and come back to my children in a time where everything is in complete turmoil. And I'm traveling without the Nomad Cross. I'm completely lost. Well, I returned safely through a miracle. I'm back in Ceuta. But I'm standing there with one foot still in Africa. It's early morning, maybe seven. And I'm turning back and I'm looking back at the continent. I vowed I would never leave. And I look back at her and I say, I will be back. I will be back soon, but this time I will come back with an army. Well, please know I don't mean an army of army. I mean an army of love and light and people that can come and work alongside me to enable my mission. But at that time, in that time in the morning, when I turn around and look at Ceuta, I know I now am fighting for my survival. 
I will tell you more about this last year, but I will also end this first story now. That this last year made my life fall into 1,000 pieces. I've never been so afraid of losing it all, actually losing it all. Being betrayed, hurt, left alone, faced with every piece of memory from my past, of every wrong, right choice. I've questioned everything. The doctors have questioned everything. I've had about a million blood tests run on my body. You know, I thought I would die. I really thought that was it. I really thought I did. But in the midst of all this, we came back to Sweden. And the swans started appearing in my life again. And only a couple of weeks ago, I was out with my daughter, Mai, and my best, one of my best friends here. We were out where I used to live in Vestingstur. And I'm standing there, and guess who I meet? I meet the lone swan. The lone swan is just swimming there on the ocean, powerful for hours. He, she, it, you know, it's right next to me. It's talking to me. It is saying, I am the reflection of you. You're strong. You have my with you. You have Lucas. You have two little ducklings about to be swans themselves. Be proud. The swan swims further out in the bay. It's like... It's on its way to the horizon. As far as go, I'm also looking down in the ocean and I can see my own reflection in the water and I realize there she stands, the adventurer, the woman that have crossed sandstorms, obstacles, gone around the world. She's done it all herself and she can do it again. For the ducklings, for herself, for the world, for the children, she can do it again. She can live to love the road. And it's right then and there that the thousand pieces that is me starts uniting. Only the week after, I'm in southern Malmö. I'm in Malmö, in the southern parts of Sweden, where I also used to live at one point. And my friends from also the south of Morocco, Ashraf and Anna Karin, meet up. And Ashraf brings me an incredible gift. From my house in Tagunit Sahara, someone very dear to me, has carefully packed the essence of my life in the Sahara. The gifts of nomads, the gifts of Said, the gifts of friends. My, my Saharan treasure. And there it is, the nomad cross. As I hold my, my, my jewelry, my, my everything, my compass in my heart, tears start rolling down my cheeks. I'm home, I'm home, I'm home. Here it is. And the final pieces came together yesterday. I was with my friend and we decided it's time to again swim. So I go out and it's windy. It's not storm, but it's windy. But the spring sun is telling us, go, go, go. So I go in the ocean and I can just feel the endless of the sea, the power that is to see the sea that I don't even have to ask what it is because I've already stopped asking. It's right there. It embraces me with all her love. 
tears again are rolling down my cheek. The first thing I put on is my warm wool socks that I had as a gift from a dear friend on my birthday. But the second thing I put on is the compass, of course. And it's with the compass around my neck that I'm just there on the veranda where the single swan just swims in the ocean. It's also there when I'm leaving the island and going back home to Gothenburg that when I open my eyes, there's a single swan. If I would not have felt it in my whole body, I would have missed it. It just spreads its wings and flies in over Gothenburg and says, I'm home, I'm free, I'm here. Live to love the road, live to love the road.